now. Uh, news of job losses, never good experience, but this week we got two such announcements in quick succession. Novartis in Cork is <coughs> set to close, as is Molex in Shannon, with the loss of over 800 jobs. The news was described as a bad day for Munster <coughs> uh, by the Minister for Business, Heather Humphreys. Well, I'm joined from Clare now by two uh, by Mike Phillips, who works in Molex in Shannon, and by Peter O'Connell, who is editor of the Clare Champion. And I'm going to start with you, if I may, Mike. Uh, tell me a bit about yourself. You're from Shannon. How long have you been working there? What do you do, etc.? Hi, Marion. How are um, you? Yes, I'm I'm living in Shannon all my life. Uh, My my parents came to Shannon in uh, the late 60s. And uh, I'm working in Molex 30 years. I work in the electroplating department there. What's that? Electroplating, it's uh, it's putting metal onto other metals with uh, electricity and chemistry, so very sciencey. All right. uh, It's it's not a very uh, common common kind of uh, job that's done is very specialised uh, so most people wouldn't really understand the electroplating but probably if you looked into your mobile phone or, or on a SIM card and you'd see gold on it well that's put there by electroplating Okay uh, and tell me in terms of the company and your experience of working there and, and the rest of the workers is there anger fear you know well you know, Molex was a super company to work for. I mean, uh, the benefits in there, the way they treated their employees was generally excellent. And and, and it was a company, you know, I'm working most of my life in there and would never have considered working anywhere else because most people that would have worked there would have been quite happy working there. And working um, conditions were good? Working conditions were brilliant. You know, they're a rural company. Uh, you know, most people... Uh, that, that are there as long as me or, 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 or even any length of time are generally happy there. They, they give very, very good benefits that you wouldn't get in a lot of other companies and generally um, treat the employees with respect and, you know, a lot of integrity in the company. So, you know, there's very little bad you could say about the company in the way that it treats its employees. Yeah, because you had a problem with your leg last year. <coughs> No, it wasn't last year. Oh, sorry. I was talking to a lady, or they were talking, I just said, I remember one time I had a hurling injury and I was out for six weeks. And, you know, when you're out sick from work, you know, you get your full pay in Molex. I was just giving, you know, just giving that as an example of, you know, you'd, for somebody else working there, you know, uh, like a, a brother of mine, for example, you know, he works for himself. You know, if he had that operation that I had and his leg, well, he wouldn't get paid for those six weeks that he was out of work. That's right. Know, yeah. I, I didn't have those worries to worry about in working in a company like Molex. So tell me the, the, the story. They came here uh, 30 years ago. The company was owned by an American married to an <coughs> Irish woman. Is that right? Yeah, so the story, um, like, you know, Molex is, I suppose, um, a company that's rode through a lot of storms over the years and, and recessions. But uh, it was owned by a, a family called the Cravehill Brothers. So their father started out in the 1950s. And uh, so one of their sons met a woman uh, there was in Chicago. I believe she was a nurse and he was in hospital. And uh, they ended up getting married. And um, she was from Tralee, I believe, in County Kerry. So there was always that Irish connection there. And right. they opened up, Mo, uh, the first company they opened up outside of Ireland was in Molex and Shannon. 
So there was always that Irish connection, and the, and that you know that, that um, owner Fred Cribel was his name. You know they they did a lot uh, over the years to try and make Molik successful and profitable, so they could survive. And then we had um, a CEO of the company, Liam McCarthy. He started his career working in Molik and Shannon and worked his way up to the very top of the company in America. And then we had another CEO who has, you know, like he he um, he did his best for Ireland as well, I suppose, because through the Cray Bells. So they they both retired last year. So we, Molik's, uh, the Craybills children, none of them wanted to take over the company. And uh, so they kind of were forced to sell the company to nice. a huge company called Coke Industries. And uh, so kind of that Irish connection then was gone and then it became purely business decisions. Right. And and pr- prof- prof- profitability hasn't been great. Uh, there are 11,000 people living in Shannon. 500 are employed uh, by the company, and you have three brothers. Well, you're one of three brothers, I should one say, three, working yeah. there. And it's always scary when you get a very good direct foreign investment and you get two members of the one family, like a husband or wife. Will you go elsewhere to look for work? Well, well I mean, I'm, I'm just turning 50 very soon, so I mean. Uh, I'm sure uh, for somebody like me that the package will be okay, but it's not a package that allows you to retire at 50 years of age. So uh, I obviously will try to get uh, some work somewhere else. I mean, what the future holds for me, I don't know. I mean, it does play in my mind. What will I be doing in a few years' time? I'm optimistic about it, but, um, you know, you're, you're facing into the unknown. Like, uh, for for my kind of job skills, uh, there there would be practically zero demand uh, for electroplating in Ireland so I wouldn't be right. optimistic about those chances but I'm optimistic that uh, I can adapt to something else. Right. Um, a couple of things you said that Nokia which at one stage dominated mm. the world was a big client of yours yeah. and uh, with the fall of Nokia and the rise of iPhone I presume the rules changed but that this work is really done elsewhere now that it's done in China. Yeah. Philippines. Yeah, well, like Nokia was an example I used because, you know, and and it's uh, if you consider like uh, Nokia was our biggest customer by far. Most of our revenue was coming through Nokia, and then the uh, Apple invented the smartphone, and pretty much, you know, most people know yeah. that nobody buys a Nokia phone anymore. So we were all very busy working for Nokia, and then pretty quickly uh, it all stopped, and we were very vulnerable, but it just goes to show, you know, that the Craybill family at the time, yeah. they did everything possible to keep us going through that tough time and reinvent ourselves with new products right. and, and things like that. Okay, just before I go to Peter O'Connell, did you see this coming down the track? No, uh, we, were, we all knew that uh, things weren't going well, and that there was going to be big changes and uh, it was only announced by the, the CEO of the company and a mail to everybody uh, about a week ago and uh, we, we, you know, like that's, and it's not only Molex in Ireland but there'll be other other plants right. affected, um, you know, to get more profitable as simple as that. Okay. So we, we were looking at the recent investment in the company and there was, you know, plenty of money being spent on the best technology and all those things like that. We we assumed that there was a future, but we, there was a kind of a new direction being taken more towards medical parts. And so we assumed that the factory was safe, but that there might be, you know, maybe 100 to 200 right. um, redundancies. But everybody was just absolutely shocked when the announcement came. Yeah. Peter O'Connell, uh, editor of the Clare Champion, 
you say that the this will remove the equivalent of 24 million from the local economy. That's quite a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a very significant figure, Marion. There's, there's no question about that. Um, as you referred to, the 500 direct employees who are losing their job, it, it, there's a knock-on effect there as well. There are, you know, a number of uh, small, much smaller companies who deal with um, Molex, who, you know, whose future is in some doubt as well. You know, uh, in terms of maybe supplying services or making a particular product that that Molex uh, don't make themselves. And then you have, you know, smaller, even smaller businesses then maybe around Shannon, uh, shops, uh, the retail sector, restaurants, um, all of whom would probably feel the pinch as well. Obviously, 500 jobs is, a, is, is very, very significant, but there is, um, I suppose, a multiplier effect as well, you know? Yeah. Um, so when you, when, you, when, you take, when you add in, uh, the, the, I suppose, the salaries of the employees into, um, you know, the, the fact that other smaller businesses will, will definitely feel some impact as well, it probably has even a, a broader impact. Right. Um, I was reading that uh, Minister Humphreys was saying, she's sounding very upbeat, uh, despite obviously offering her sympathies, but she said that she met representatives of IDA, Enterprise Ireland, the Shannon Group, the Department of Social Protection and third-level colleges Mm. to discuss the impact and a plan would be put in place. Yeah, there's two things about that, Marion. I mean, that meeting took place the day after it was announced that Molex were was closing. And, you know, with all due respect to Minister Humphreys and her department, you would imagine that they should be better informed um, as to the possibility of uh, nationally, when you include uh, Novartis and Cork, um, that those 800 jobs um, at risk. You would hope that, that our political representatives would, would be... Um, more aware of what's happening on the ground. Um, as, as Mike said, it was a massive shock um, in, in terms of Molex, but, but definitely within Molex, uh, there, there was an awareness that bad news was coming, not to the extent um, that, that, that emerged, it did. That it did, yeah. But, but, but that something open. was going down. Kieran, yeah. can I come to you on this? Yeah, it seems, I think another factor at play here in, in terms of Molex um, as a group is, is that it seems to be being caught in the crosshairs of the US-China uh, trade war um, that's going on. So Donald Trump's uh, fingerprints um, somewhat uh, on this. But right. um, as has been said, uh, you know, clearly the, the products they're in at the minute, um, it seems they have a, a limited uh, lifespan going forward. The other thing is uh, it was mentioned about the Crevo family <coughs> who previously owned it. Um, just to say, they're still invested in Ireland. Um, they um, they're the people behind uh, Ballyfin, the five star hotel oh, in County are Leash. They? Yeah. they are, yeah. And they spent. I gather it's like about five going on seven star. Yeah, and they spent. Well, we don't know precisely how much they spent refurbishing it, but somewhere between fifty and hundred million euro. Um, so they still are uh, actively involved in Ireland, investing in that. Um, right. You know, hopefully. Uh, the timing of these two announcements is obviously very unfortunate, devastating for the region, uh, potentially. But hopefully uh, it's not a portent of things to come in terms of uh, right. Ireland and the economy and foreign direct investment. Okay. And it should should also be said um, that in the past we saw digital in Galway and when digital pulled out and there was oh, a there lot was, of yeah, woe and so forth. And yeah, that. but actually a lot of people went on to do other things. There were lots of spin-offs or spin-outs from digital uh, ultimately that were good. in the long term. And if you look at GPA as well, which was down in Shannon, Tony Ryan yeah. uh, formed GPA. He tried to take a public, it didn't work. Uh, the company almost collapsed. It was eventually taken over by General Electric. But GPA, that whole GPA project down there, uh, ultimately spanned a, a, a massive aircraft leasing well, sector we're in still Ireland, which one is a world leader. We're still the world, aren't <coughs> yeah, we, in, yeah. in aircraft leasing? That all came from Tony Ryan. Eddie Malloy. Uh, IDA companies, Marion, um, 
are exceedingly good, stimulated by the IDA, not just to get here and make the widgets they're to make, but actually progressively move what they call up the value chain. And that means each, every product they're involved in, everything they're making, and the factory equipment they have to make it have a life cycle. It peaks, as you heard in this story, do you follow me? At a time we were buying, we were selling to Nokia, and yeah. we were in, in, in Clover. But actually, it's up really to the local management. You heard the phrase there, we, we knew something was going to happen. Yeah. Okay? So really, the challenge for the management of a local multinational company is to be thinking far ahead all the time and to get a sense of what's coming down and then to do their best to stay ahead of the curve. As I so, understand the practice within the IDA, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, that, OK, they're very good at going fishing and reeling yeah. people in, and but that then they keep really close contact with them. They do, yeah. The phrase that's used in the IDA is tent-pegging the company. Right. Anchoring the company, making it sticky. They're the various phrases they use. And if you take, I mean, there are many examples in Ireland. There were 1,500 people making, com uh, assembling computers in Apple in Cork, for example. And they used to call it stuffing boxes. It's a relatively manual, labour-intensive thing. But there's more than that number there now in software engineering and higher requiring higher education. IBM used to have people uh, selling and fixing uh, uh, machines, business machines, but there's thousands of them out there involving in all kinds of high tech. And that is the record of the multinational companies in Ireland generally. And I just make this distinction between Novartis and um, uh, Molex. Novartis is a, a pharmaceutical company and it's in a cluster. Ring a skiddy, cork, they're... they're they're, they're Pharma they're Central. Pharma, Pharma Central. And those people, I would suspect, will have no difficulty getting jobs because there's a shortage of people with the knowledge and the expertise. I mean, the, the, I don't know who's running them, but there are courses called crossover courses where you might have been good at one thing, but you can go and learn how to oh, work. Oh, that's fantastic. Learn how to work in a pharma f factory with the... What I'm learning about Molex, for instance, electroplating, that goes to China. That's all that kind of... Uh, factory-type uh, work. Well, that's what heading. Mike said himself. That's what Mike is saying. Yeah. So, really, I would be less optimistic about um, the, for the people in uh, Shannon than I would be for Novartis because of, it sounds to me like they were involved in an end-game technology, one that's life cycle had run out. Mm. The factory was no longer really uh, uh, fitted for the next generation of products. Yeah. And so... Uh, that, that's what I would say. Right, I mean, yeah. Just looking at, I suppose, the politics of all of this, I mean, Heather Humphreys, while she travelled down to... She cancelled her events on Tuesday or Wednesday and went down to Shannon. I mean, she came... Uh, she revealed on that radio interview that morning, it was either on Morning Ireland or on Sean O'Rourke, that, you know, this was a big shock, didn't see it coming. And, like, that goes... That drives me mad because there's a supposedly early detection kind of warnings within oh, yeah. the system. And where were they? Novartis have been at this review for over a year and Ring of Skiddy apparently was initially not seen as part of that review, but also, but clearly has been on the, on the kind of radar for quite a while. Yeah. Not a peak of it. Right. That's really concerning from a government that's supposed to be on top of things, right? Um, and it has kind of hallmarks of the Dell incident 10 years ago, you know, when Irish people were sent out to Poland to train the people that were going to replace their jobs. Like, um, 
But, you know, and Leo Varadkar's kind of sort of mealy-mouthed response in the doll saying, oh, sometimes these companies don't give you advance warning of their plans. But if you're at the IDA, you're the Department of Business, this is your job to know about these things. Ireland is a small country, you know the grapevine, you should hear, like, and particularly if in the Molex circumstance that this, you know, something was kind of on the, yeah. on the radar. That uh, surprises me an awful lot and kind of goes to show that... How surprised. do you react to that, Peter? Absolutely, completely agree. I mean, it's the job of the Minister for Business and uh, her department or doing a minister to be aware of what's happening on the ground, you know, and in this, in this instance, they didn't do their job. I mean, it might sound a bit harsh, but that's, that, that's just the, the reality of the situation. You'd hope that they would, you know, be much better informed and uh, be able to uh, intervene before before the decision is made. Not saying that they'd be able to get the decision overturned, but at least if you know in advance that uh, there's you know very bad news um, coming down the tracks, coming down the tracks, you might be able to have, have you know exert some influence. And it just didn't happen this time. There's, there's no point in having a, a meeting with um, you know several stakeholders the morning after the day before. Okay, Eddie, you want to yeah, come yeah, in? I, I wouldn't agree that the minister should know about what's happening in Molex. I think that the uh, the management the, the, the management first of all on the ground as to, as one of your other speakers said they could see what was in the tea leaves they could see what was happening and unfolding probably for some time and he said how the, the family did their very best to keep it going yeah. and all, to me my antennae there are this has been in the in the tea leaves for quite a long time so first of all the management would also the IDA have a very good national network I would be very surprised if the IDA did not have that so why was, in, why was in, in their sites. So, 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 so the minister going down is a political act. Yeah. That's what it is. But yeah. why was she so shocked then, Eddie? I mean, if, look, I mean she has officials. Well, well, she, the she... IDA wouldn't be telling the minister what the, the status of what you know, thousands of companies in Ireland are. They would be tracking them and so on. But they wouldn't be informing the minister. You better but this is 800 job losses in the space of 24 hours. Like, I mean, yeah, surely yeah, as a minister, you're kind of, you'd want to... Like, if you're a minister and you've an advisor and a team around you, you'd want to be known because there is a political fallout from it. Right. Yeah. Okay, let me go back to you, Mike. You took the view that there was actually... No hope for the company. Well, um, when I say no hope, like the decision is made and there's no going back from it. And and, like I would like to comment that, um, you know, over the last number of years, uh, when you say about local management, the amount of work and the amount of presentations all of us have made to uh, potential customers and current customers, trying to listen to the voice of the customer, uh, you know, trying to get new products in. And we did get new products in and, and lots of them. You just can't. You just couldn't make enough revenue uh, because, at the end of the day, our customer base is over in Asia. And if you're making something on this side of the world to send to somewhere in Asia, you know they can do it there just as easily. And, and you, you far know, cheaper. It, far far cheaper. cheaper. Like if you think of it, like you know, Molex. I don't know what what it'll cost them to to close the factory down, but I'd imagine you know thirty five, forty million to close a factory down. So if someone's, you know, if a company's uh, going to spend that type of money to close a place, like, what does it take to keep it open? Right. You know, like, it, yeah, the other thing is monster were... factories over there and, you know, maybe 8,000 people working in one factory and it's running 24-7. You know, it's an efficient process and, you know, where we've all done a huge amount of work in continuous improvements 
over the years and projects and investment in, in better technology and that you you just couldn't, you know, feed the, the corporate yeah. monster, I suppose. Yeah, and you were saying that one of the two plants in China, monthly revenue of 55 million. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and right. our, ours is eight to nine. Last word, Kieran, on this. Well, unfortunately, there's an economic reality to all of this, isn't there? And there are different uh, regulations and standards apply in countries like um, China, uh, etc., that don't uh, don't necessarily apply here. So the economics uh, come into play with it all. And unfortunately, uh, Molex no, is No, and a if you're in, in that neck of the world, you know, what would be regarded as an exploitative, disgraceful income here, you could be sitting high on the hog, you know what I mean? In the sense that 10,000 a year and you'd be, like, right up there. So when they get paid less, it does. It still gives them a chance at a half-decent job, whereas nobody in this country would even imagine um, working for those kind of low levels. I don't think that is connected into all our psyches. No, but it's a bit of a zero-sum game, I think, in, in all of this, because, you know, the, the jobs go to China and then China um, starts to become a high-cost location, relatively oh, yeah. speaking. Yeah. Um, so then they move somewhere else, you know, maybe to go to Vietnam or the Philippines or some, oh, yeah. somewhere else. And then they move somewhere else, uh, etc. So. Actually, somebody was, was telling me who was involved in buying for one of the big um, companies that they used to go to, to or ordering, I should say, used to go to China, but the wages started going up in China, so they hop-skipped and jumped into Vietnam. That's right, yeah. And actually, now that we're on the sustainability um, yeah. uh, loop, if you like, because of climate change, a lot of the um, textile manufacturers that have outsourced to uh, parts of China and, and elsewhere, and they might have been looking at Africa maybe as their next uh, stepping off point, there's been, you know, there's starting to be a backlash against that kind of uh, that kind of thing happening. And I, I think a lot of people, uh, some of the, they're niche players maybe in the textile market and they're making brands that are uh, with big price tags, but they're starting to bring some of that back to Europe. Uh, right, Jennifer. Um, well, just speaking, speaking on that point and to a broader point in general, not only are countries who would have been investing in China and the wages going up and saying we're yeah. going to invest elsewhere, China as an economic power is also doing that themselves. And we're seeing that actually China's with its economic investment, you could actually reconceptualize it to say it's <coughs> a new form of economic colonization. And so when we talk about the US-China trade war, actually and and the decline of the US hegemon of the US as the global um yeah. global force actually if you look at it and you kind of reconceptualize or you rethink of what actually is the global force in the world if you look at it in economic terms china with its investment yeah. because it's actually getting even increasingly more expensive in its own nation investment in africa um, India, and it has investment ports all around uh, yeah. India shores, so it's actually the creation of power well, in that I sense. I understand it's, it's a matter of time and not a very <coughs> long time before China will take over well, from... GDP-wise, yeah, we, we, we've already seen that happen and it's, the prediction is that we're actually entering by Joseph Nye, who's a scholar in, in Harvard, not only a scholar, he's the top diplomatic scholar in the world. He has predicted that we're entering a new Cold War, but it's the economic Cold War between the US and China. And I would, I would see God. that theory and, and, and see, see how that take us. Hold on to your hats. What is ahead of us? Everything <laughs> seems yeah, to be well, changing yeah. in such a way. Anyway, listen, I'm going to take a break and we will then go to Brexit. Podcast The Marion Finucane Show at rte.ie slash radio.